We started our discussion of conceptual cognition last time, and I asked you to think of a dog and examine what is it that appears. Did you think of all dogs in general, or did a mental picture of a specific dog come to your mind? Answer, please. Her dog. Her dog. So a specific, a specific individual dog. Do all dogs look like that? No, all dogs don't look like that. So we have a representative dog. And it is the same with anything that we think. If I think of my mother, a specific mental image comes to my mind of my mother. She didn't always... She's not always frozen in that position and in that moment of, of time, wearing whatever she's wearing, etc., does she? Same thing when we think of the taste of orange juice. Or the sound of a bell. Right? There's a one specific item, a mental image, or maybe that's not the best word, an appearance, a mental hologram of a specific representative of the category. Now, when we look at an animal and we think dog, we're using the category dog, aren't we? Uh, but it isn't that we have our sort of almost archetypical dog that I superimpose onto this dog, do I? So it's slightly different when we are actually looking at the object and thinking, dog, what a beautiful dog, or whatever, and when we're just thinking of a dog. Right? 
Okay, so let us see in more detail what actually is composing the appearance that uh, arises with the conceptual cognition, according to Galupa. Now, we make a distinction here between an appearing object and what appears. And what appears? Okay, the appearing object is uh, what it's something that seems as though it's directly in front of the mental consciousness. This is Nangyul in Tibetan. Okay, so the appearing object is the category. Right? Appearing doesn't necessarily, remember, when we're talking about appearing, we're just talking about something that arises. Category is a metaphysical static phenomenon. It doesn't have a shape or a form or a color or anything. Uh, it's the appearing object of the for the mental consciousness. Now, what appears that it's uh, imputed on? No, this is the nangwa. No, it, what appears is what it's imputed on, and so what it's imputed on is a. Let's translate it as a mental representation of an external objective entity, a common sense object. What appears, so we have the, what's directly in front of the mental consciousness is a category. Category dog. Okay, so now what am I imputing that, that on? What am I mixing it with? So I'm mixing this with a mental representation of a dog. Right, a dog is an external objective entity. Right, and that is of a specific item. Right, it's a representation, so it represents dogs. <laughs> this is basically also a static phenomenon. 
It is what will specify a dog, an individual dog. It is a, to translate it easily, it is nothing other than a dog. Mayimbale Lokpa. It's a mental exclusion. And it, it, it is conceptually isolated from all other items. Okay, so I'm thinking of dog. Category. So what am I imputing it on? It's nothing other than a dog. So what we're doing is going from a general category to something specific. Right? When we look at, it, at an animal and see it as dog, we don't think of it as all dogs, do we? We think of it as a specific item which is nothing other than a dog. Nothing other than a dog. Do you follow that? That's not so easy. It's talking about how do you make a connection between a general category and a specific item. So, nothing other than a dog is also static phenomenon. It doesn't have any shape or form or color. It's also metaphysical. So, in addition, what we would have is a um, a mental aspect that would resemble the specific dog. Okay, so we have now I put it onto a specific item. Nothing other than a dog. And then we have a mental image which represents nothing other than a dog. So, here's my general, my general concept of dog, and now I am imposing this general thing on a specific item which is represented by this mental picture. The 
category is semi-transparent, which means that it slightly veils the metaphysical entity of nothing other than a dog. This is the problem here. This is where the confusion comes. Because these two are mixed. That we think that this is what a dog is. Our mental, Im- our mental idea of a dog. That's what a dog is. Right? Now, obviously, if we're thinking of categories like good, beautiful, attractive, we all have our own we have our own concept, we would say, in the West of what is beautiful and what is good and what is delicious and so on. So we are confusing the general category with what we have conceptually isolated to represent that category. I have conceptually isolated attractive from the category uh, to from everything else. And this is, in our Western language, we say this is my idea of what attractive is. Right, so one person could conceptually isolate something and another person could conceptually isolate something else as a mental representation of the category. Right, in order to specify and represent, in our Western terms, my idea of what's attractive or what a dog should look like. Or how a curry sauce should taste like, a taste, and conceptually isolate a taste. This can be with any type of uh, sense object. Not only a sense object, we could, you know, what does rep- what represents happiness for us? A mental, you know, a way of being aware. Okay, so now, through, <laughs> so the category they say is semi-transparent. In other words, it it veils you, so you get confused that this specific conceptually isolated metaphysical thing represents that category. So you confuse the two. That's what it means to say that it's partially transparent. You don't see that these are really two different things. Right? 
метафизическую сущность, да, и мы, путая их вместе, думаем, что это и есть категория, да, хотя это нами индивидуально выделено. So, nothing other than a dog, that nothing other than, is fully transparent. And through it, one could see the objective entity outside, externally. If the external object is present. So, now, and it's this uh, mental aspect which has a shape and uh, a form. That's not the metaphysical thing. That's not the nothing other than a dog. There is then a shape and form. Like our hologram that uh, we were speaking about when you see something. Okay. So, it's not metaphysical. The one with shape and form is not metaphysical. That's an objective thing, except it can only be known by the mind. Okay, so two cases here. One case, I look at this animal, and I think, dog. So we have the category dog, general category, right, which is a meaning category of the audio sound dog. Right, by the way, that audio, the word, can be represented not just by sound, it can also be represented by straight and curved lines of writing which are also totally arbitrary. Somebody decided that this combination of straight and curved lines actually has a meaning, which is quite extraordinary if you think about it. Audio category can be represented by those lines, yeah? Yeah, I mean, audio, I think that, although they don't discuss this in the text, I think we have to extend it to written some representation that then has meaning. Right, we have a category, don't we, that no matter what you know, what type of handwriting, what color it's written in, the size of the writing at all, is the word dog, a written representation of the word dog. So, let's go back to our example. See a dog, see an animal. And I think dog. Right, now, of course, this could... We're talking about an accurate uh, labeling. If I look at it and call and think door, door, 
door, I'm not even pronouncing it correctly, a door, like you open a door, then obviously it's not accurate. But in any case, so look at it, label it dog. So this is the category dog. So both audio and meaning category. Right? Meaning category is the meaning of the audio category. So whether the audio category is present or not doesn't matter. They won't have to be thinking the, the word, the sound of the word. Okay, so now dog now conceptually isolated a specific dog, nothing other than a dog. Now the mental hologram with a colored shape and form that will appear will be one that looks like this this animal in front of me. Right? This is a this is a specific example of an individual dog. And through this whole hologram, transparently, I see the dog. So we follow that. There's the dog. I see the dog. Now there's a mental hologram that looks like the dog. And what is superimposed here is that this is like a specific thing and the category dog. As if, and it's confusing that, you know, well, all dogs are like this. Do you follow that? This is really very subtle and, and difficult. And if the dog, if there isn't any animal in front of us, then we have our own private mental image of what a dog looks like. So the actual physical form, color, shape, or taste, or whatever it is, of that mental hologram will be different depending on whether we're actually looking at an animal and calling it a dog, or we're just thinking of a dog. And it could be what I think a, a dog looks like, what you think a dog looks like, could be a totally different dog. And also, many different people, I mean, we can look at many actual external dogs and call them all dog. Correctly.
и мы говорим о случаях корректного, да, верного восприятия. Why don't we take a moment and think about this, digest it, and then if you have questions about it, please ask. Давайте немножко попытаемся это осмыслить, переварить. Если у вас есть какие-то вопросы в связи вот именно с этим изложением, то можете задать их. And actually it starts to get us into thinking as well of what's wrong with conceptual thought. We have to ask the question, what's wrong with conceptual thought? A lot of people say, oh, you have to be non-conceptual all the time. Well, Buddha doesn't have conceptual thought. That's true. But we have to examine what's the problem with conceptual thought. Is the problem language and that we have conventions of uh, sounds and uh, straight and uh, curved lines that actually mean something? Is that the problem? What's the problem? Why doesn't the Buddha have conceptual thought? So let's think about this for a few moments. <laughs> See if we've understood. Then perhaps you have some questions. That was a fast question with no thought. Why don't we wait at least 30 seconds? Okay, what's your question? Uh, Alex, uh, I have a question. Maybe you can say a few words uh, regarding who is that I who receives uh, uh, a dog or holographic pictures of the world? The question is, who is the I or the person that perceives the uh, these mental images? Let's put this to the side for a little bit later because that 
is a completely different discussion. And let's just ask for questions about what we've been discussing, and then I'll come back to this. Any question about conceptual thought? Yes. he's saying is the problem here that we have uh, an object and we don't see the object, we mix it with a model of the object uh, in conceptual thought I wouldn't say that that's the problem because the model is the mental hologram that represents it if I I mean my understanding of what the word of the meaning category of the word model Maybe your idea of what model means is something else. Можно ли сказать иными в иных терминах, что проблема концептуального мышления в том, что наш ум создает некий посреднический такой модель между реальным объектом вовне и нашим восприятием его, познанием его, и мы смешиваем эту модель с объектом, и в этом ущербность как бы концептуального восприятия. На что Алекс ответил, что so this model, as you understand it, is a mental hologram. So the model is the mental hologram. It's not, I mean, when we see a dog and we think dog, the mental hologram, which is specifying a dog, which is a representation of a, of a specific dog, is the model of the dog. That's fully transparent. That's no problem. It's the same as when you see it. For Sautrantika, Chittamatra has a pro- has complication with this, but we won't get to that yet. What is being mixed here is a general category with a specific item. When a Buddha looks at this animal, does a Buddha know that it's a dog? Does Buddha see a dog? That's the question. Buddha doesn't have 
doesn't think in, in terms of concepts or categories. But does a Buddha see a dog? Yes, because they're common sense objects. And what is a common sense object? Go back to our definition. It's what a word or concept for it refers to. So these are individual items that would fit into the category by convention. So a Buddha doesn't have to think with the general category of dog when a Buddha sees this dog. What establishes that it's a dog? Well, there's a concept in word, and it's what the concept or word refers to. It doesn't create a dog, but what establishes that there is such a thing as a dog? Well, the only thing is something from the side of the mind, the concept, a category. But a Buddha is not confusing the category all dogs with this fixed idea of what a dog is, of what it should look like. This could be either in general, when just thinking, or with this specific animal. Can a Buddha communicate with other people? You know, here's a dog. Sure, a Buddha can communicate. That's not a problem. Buddha can, can talk. So we really have to examine within ourselves when we think anything or communicate or label things. How much are we confusing an individual item with a category? Нам следует внимательно изучать всякий раз, когда мы воспринимаем что-то, когда мы думаем о чем-то, насколько наш ум смешивает эти два вещи, да, общую категорию и индивидуальный объект. How do we normally think? Как мы обыкновенно думаем? A dog should be like this, and it should be like that, and and etc. I had a dog in India. This dog didn't like to be petted. It didn't like to sit in in anybody's lap. It didn't play any dog games. You threw a ball or a stick and it just looked at you, you know, don't be stupid. You, know, you think I'm going to run after this? Mud 
monkeys would come into the yard, the dog didn't bark. So, what's my idea of a dog? This this animal is not acting like a dog, is what I might think. Well, this is absurd, isn't it? That is a fixed idea of what a dog should be, and I'm mixing it with this thing, this animal that's there, this creature, and saying, well, okay, you could call it a dog, but it's not really a dog, because a dog should be like this and this and that, and then I'm disappointed. Or we are looking for a partner. So we have, to use our Western words, my own idea of what a partner is. It's a category partner, conceptually isolated individual, what a partner should be. Итак, у нас есть категория партнер, да, или спутник жизни. И затем у нас есть индивидуально изолированное наше понятие того, каким он должен являться или она. Now, I see this person. Я вижу ту или иную личность. And I label this person partner. This is my partner. Обозначаю его или ее партнером, спутником. And even if it's an accurate mental depiction of what they look like. Даже если это вполне корректное my conceptually isolated representation of what a partner should be is quite different from the way that this person acts. So we have a projection. We call that in the West. With unrealistic expectations. And so we think, you know, this person is my partner, and we have our private idea of what that really means, you know, what we conceptually isolate to represent what a partner should be. This is the problem. Buddha doesn't do that. But nevertheless, a Buddha sees a dog, knows what a dog is, and can say to somebody else, hey, look at this dog. Okay? Think again. A few moments. <laughs> Reflect on that. Please.
Can we say that the karmic seeds are the causes for those representations? Now, this is a very nice introduction to the Chittamatra presentation. <laughs> What is the natal source of the actual image of the hologram? What it looks like? And when we get into Chittamatra, which we'll do after the break, then uh, Chittamatra would say that that comes from a, a seed of karma. It's part of the whole package of this cognition. It all comes from one seed of karma. Whereas from our Satrantika point of view, why you think of your dog of a dog in terms of what your personal dog looks like, that image of your personal dog comes from the natal sources from your actual dog. Now, there are many causes and conditions which are karmic causes, and not only karmic causes, but other causes from your mental continuum. Why that particular animal is your dog? You know, that depends not just on your karma, but the parents of the dog, and I mean, so many other things. Is there a degree of danger in terms of the um, special objects? Like if we confuse the mental image or general category with a specifically isolated dog, or mental image or general category with a specifically isolated notion of Buddha? I mean, these terms. Is it more dangerous and more grave karmic consequences for that, or it doesn't matter? In terms of being confused about certain special high objects. So he's asking, is there confusion? I mean, is there a difference in terms of conceptually thinking of a uh, dog or of a Buddha? I don't know that there is necessarily one is more dangerous than the other. I suppose... If we, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, let, let's use concrete examples. 
if we think that if my concept of a dog, you know, the, what I isolate as what a dog is, is something that is vicious and cruel and is always going to bite me, well, there's obviously some danger because then whenever I'm with a dog, I act, I'm very, very nervous and upset and the dog can sense that and it probably will bite me. Now, with a Buddha, of course, what we can conceptually isolate as a Buddha and the qualities of a Buddha could be incorrect. We could imagine that a Buddha is like a creator god, an omnipotent creator god. For instance, and a Buddha is not that. So all I have to do is obey and Buddha will save me. So, is that more dangerous than thinking every dog will bite me? I don't know. Depends on what we conceptually isolate as the meaning of the word dangerous, doesn't it? <laughs> to represent the, the meaning of dangerous. It, cer it certainly is a, a, a big hindrance in terms of our refuge, safe direction, what we're aiming for with the spiritual path, whereas if uh, we think all dogs are going to bite me, that's not going to necessarily damage our spiritual progress. But, in terms of the two types of conceptual cognition that we mentioned, in terms of a dog, you know, the dog is present, or I'm just thinking of a dog without a dog present, uh, you know, I can also see the dog non-conceptually. With a, a Buddha, if we're thinking in terms of what's called Dharmakaya, the omniscient mind of a Buddha, all these sort of things, uh, or enlightenment in general, we can't really know that except conceptually through we have so, you know we know the word we we know the list of the qualifications so we know what it's supposed to mean and then we have some sort of representation of what a buddha is but we wouldn't really be able to uh, perceive those qualities even if a buddha were in front of us Мышление, которое мы проводили в первой части сегодня, да, говоря, что есть концептуальное восприятие собаки, когда мы видим собаку, 
есть концептуальное восприятие собак, когда мы ее не видим, да, мысленно собаки, отвлеченно, умозрительно. Поэтому Будду мы увидеть и качество его напрямую узреть, как мы можем узреть собаку, не можем. Мы можем об этом только мыслить. Когда мы работаем с Бодхичиттой, Enlightenment, which has not yet happened. That's the focus. When, when, when you meditate on bodhicitta, what actually appears in your mind? What you're focusing on, the focal object, is my individual enlightenment. I'm not aiming for Buddha's enlightenment, Shakyamuni's enlightenment, or somebody else's enlightenment. I'm, I'm aiming for my own, not yet happened, individual Enlightenment, which can be imputed on the basis of, Buddha, of my individual Buddha nature. Итак, когда мы культивируем бодхичитту, медитируем на бодхичитте, чем мы занимаемся? По сути, мы фокусируемся или думаем о э, неком объекте, который есть наше собственное просветление в будущем, которое еще не свершилось. Да? Мы же не стремимся к просветлению будущего Кемуни или кого-то еще. Да? Мы думаем о своем собственном, пока не состоявшемся просветлении, которое возможно благодаря имеющейся у нас в данный момент So, with that, always will be conceptual until we're a Buddha, according to Galukpa. Because we could ever, we could never know until we're a Buddha, non-conceptually, what that enlightenment really is like. So, what actually appears? What's the mental hologram when you're sitting there focusing on bodhicitta? Needs to be something that, with shape and form, will be more helpful that represents the enlightenment, my individual enlightenment, that has not yet happened. And so, for instance, we visualize a Buddha figure. It должно быть что-то, что своим содержанием, своими чертаниями, своими цветами, формами является как-то способствующим, помогающим нашему нам на пути, да, и представляющее, как бы символизирующее эти посвященные качества, которым мы стремимся, это просветление, к которому мы идем, и как раз из-за этого мы, например, созерцаем некие посвященные Будда формы. So I visualize a Buddha. Is that my is that my future enlightenment, my enlightenment that hasn't yet happened? No, not really. It's, I'm not going to look like that, am I? So it's a representation. We have conceptually isolated my enlightenment, individual enlightenment that hasn't happened yet from the general enlightenment the category. And now we have some representation, so we can think about it in a sense. And, and focus on it in meditation. So if we have a really You know, and obviously there's more to the enlightened state than just looking like what this mental image looks like. 
So that's why when you focus with bodhicitta, you have to be aware of all the qualities and so on, not just these colored shapes in a, in a mental image. И, конечно, просветление это немного больше, чем просто совокупность этих форм очертаний, которых мы себе созерцаем, да, себе визуализируем, представляем. Есть. Именно поэтому в медитации мы должны пометовать обо всех тех просветленных качествах, силах, там, способностях и так далее, которые а, присущи этому состоянию. Поэтому это такой сложный, сложный процесс. But this is just my private idea of what actually enlightenment will be. I really don't have any idea. Actually, do I? Because I, I have never experienced it non-conceptually. So it's deceptive. Even if it's accurate in terms of the whole list of what the qualifications, qualities of a Buddha are. If I think that that's what enlightenment is going to be like. It's tricky. <laughs> so say in Indian English, tricky. Very tricky. <laughs> or I'm aiming for success. That's even more vague, isn't it? What our idea of, of success is. So in our Western language, we talk about ideas. And in the Buddhist uh, analysis, it's much more detailed analysis of what actually makes up an idea. There isn't actually a word equivalent to an idea or a thought. But it's all in this general category of mental appearances, mental holograms. Okay? So, let's take our break, and then we need to get back to your question about who is it that is actually uh, experiencing these mental holograms. The course about appearances, the fourth session of the day, the fifth of the entire course. Now that we have conceptually isolated and specified what this lecture is, then uh, we can start. Right, by giving those words, what's implied is that it's nothing other than this date and this uh, number in the lecture. But that's a, a mental, a conceptual thing that we do. Right? We don't have to actually think of absolutely everything in a whole list of absolutely everything and say it's not this, it's not that, it's not this, it's not that. It's everything, it's nothing other than what it is. 
of it's a, a conceptual thing, and those are very helpful and discussed in great detail in Buddhism, but uh, they're really quite difficult to understand. But it is very much uh, involved with what we were speaking about yesterday when we spoke about decisive determination of what something is. Но это играет очень важную роль в том процессе, который мы с вами обсуждали вчера и который именуется достоверным знанием или как decided determination, достоверной решимостью, да, или уверенным знанием. And when we are talking about discriminating awareness, which is what's usually translated as wisdom, particularly in terms of it being about voidness, then really has to be very, very precise. Nothing other than decisive determination. That we're not just distinguishing it decisive, that it is nothing other than what it is. Not anything else. So we have the category, voidness, an audio word, I mean an audio category, which is derived from many, many sounds of uh, different people, different voices saying the word voidness and many different ways of writing it. And at the beginning, we might not have any meaning category associated with it. We have no idea what it means. We hear one teacher talking about voidness, we hear another teacher talking about voidness, we hear the sound of the word of somebody saying voidness, and we put it into the category void you know, the audio category voidness. They're talking about voidness, but still we have no idea of what it means. So then we read some explanations. Or we hear some explanations of what it means. And now, derived from that, but not organically growing out of it, but derived from that, there is a meaning category of 
voidness, what the word means. So there's the general category here of the meaning of the word voidness. Now, there's a conceptually isolated, specific meaning that when I think of voidness, then I mix category, what voidness means, with this particular meaning that I've conceptually isolated. Now, the conceptually, the conceptual isolate, the nothing other than, that's sort of like a mechanism that's not actually a meaning. That's just a mechanism that is nothing other than some specific thing. And then, with that, we have an actual meaning. So there's category, general category, and then some sort of mechanism that says nothing other than something specific. That's also static. And then there is a representation of an example of what is a specific meaning. And then we think that that's the general meaning of what voidness means. That's the confusion. The general category, the meaning of the word voidness, that doesn't change, that doesn't do anything. No, it's, it's metaphysical, it doesn't do anything, it's just a category. What the word mean what the word voidness means. And this mechanism, the conceptual isolate, that also doesn't do anything. That doesn't change. What could change, however, is the actual meaning that we isolate as being what voidness means. And that, of course, can be replaced when we have a better meaning, a better understanding. So that's how we get a better and better understanding of, of something like voidness. And not just voidness. As we get older and have more experience, then we have also a more accurate, we would say in the West, idea of how to deal with different problems, how to deal with children, how to, you know, all of that is we are replacing the content of what represents 
a general category like how do you deal with a crying child? И не обязательно такие высоко интеллектуальные или духовные материи как пустотность, да? Это может быть любое какое-то мирское знание, когда мы растём, мужаем с годами, мы лучше начинаем разбираться в ситуациях, ладить с людьми, там уметь обращаться с детьми, например, да? И вот так наша это общая категория, как ладить с людьми или как успокоить плачущего ребёнка, да? То, что соответствует смыслу соответствующее этому, может с годами улучшаться, обретаться более совершенное знание этого и может улучшиться обращаться. So, that becomes very interesting. How do you focus, what does it mean to focus non-conceptually on voidness, for example? И очень интересный вопрос здесь, что тогда значит вообще, например, неконцептуальное созерцание, да, ну или фокусировка на пустотности, как постигать пустотность напрямую? What we focus on is that still what the word voidness means? То на чем мы фокусируемся, есть ли это смысл термина пустотность по-прежнему? О чем речь? Yes. Conventional object. Voidness is also there is one aspect in which voidness would be of a conventional common sense object, which is defined as what the word or concept for it is referring to. Да, это условный объект, какой-то конвенциональный объект, что позволяет его считать таким, что с какой-то точки зрения, с какой-то в каком-то своем аспекте пустотность это действительно то, к чему относится или что обозначает термин пустотность. Да, это определение условного объекта. Поэтому можно сказать, что да, пустотность это условный объект. Do we know that this is an understanding of voidness? when we focus on it non-conceptually. Well, yes, but we're not thinking voidness, voidness, voidness. But we're not mixing it with a category of general, you know, what voidness means. Now I can't pretend that I actually really understand that. <laughs> but uh, when we get the various pieces that are needed to, that for us to understand in order to understand what it means to focus non-conceptually on something like that, then we can start to analyze, we can start to try to figure it out. So it becomes a matter of using a, an easier example. I see a dog. Now, before I conceptually think dog, do I see a dog? Yes, Galupa would say you actually see a dog. How do I know that I saw a dog? Now, this becomes 
not an easy question. And so <laughs> now you have two explanations. One explanation, which you have in Sautrantika, is that there is a something called reflexive awareness, rangrik, which is part of that package of that moment of cognition that, in a sense, is like the tape recorder that is aware that the cognition took place and aware of its accuracy or inaccuracy. And that's what allows you to remember it. So, now, Prasangika disagrees with this. Galuk Prasangika. Right, and says this is, you know, there are a lot of faults with uh, this because then, you know, if you need something else to know that you were aware of it, then you would need yet something else to know that, that you had something that was aware of it and it's an infinite uh, regression. So that's no good. Prasangika disagrees with So the Prasangika explanation, Galuk Prasangika explanation is that we have implicit apprehension that the cognition occurred. Remember we had on the first session the difference between explicit and implicit apprehension. That there is an implicit apprehension that the cognition occurred. And that it was accurate. Because of it being a decisive determination. Okay, so I see a dog. Now, there are conceptual isolates, but there are also object isolates. So, I see a dog, and the hologram of a dog, you know, colored shapes and a dog appears. Right. Remember, implicitly, we also knew at the same time that not a cat. 
И помните, что имплицитно, да, то есть подразумевается, что это не кошка. Автоматом возникает подобное знание. So, also, implicit here is the object isolate, nothing other than a dog. Nothing other than this item. Right? Nothing other than the item. We might not know what it is. Right? This is, remember, this is what allows us to remember this, this thing. I saw this before. I don't know its name, I don't know what it is, but I remember seeing it. So there's some decisiveness there. So what makes the decisive determination is that we know that also nothing other than, than this. So it's very clear that it's this, not something else. So that means that implicit as well is knowing that uh, the cognition of it actually occurred and it was accurate because it was nothing other than what it is. So, we have non-conceptual cognition of voidness. Well, it's not going to occur just, you know, for no reason. But let's just hypothesize that we have this uh, understanding. Non-conceptually. Now, I, have, I am decisive. Decisive determination that of this understanding, and I can recall it. Now, it doesn't matter whether I know the word voidness or not. If this cognition was accurate, what makes it an understanding of voidness? Well, what establishes that, that it, well, it is what the word voidness, the, you know, is what the meaning refers to. It's what it refers to. I didn't know what it was called, but that doesn't matter. It is the meaning of voidness. That some people have made up this word, and it has a meaning, and the meaning refers to this. Nothing other than this. And it's accurate. Now, does a Buddha know that it is what the word voidness refers to? Yes, Buddha isn't stupid. A Buddha knows languages.
But at the time when a Buddha cognizes it non-conceptually, it's not, you know, the there's no need for the category there. Но в то время, когда Будда познавал это напрямую, переживал это на собственном опыте, не было необходимости в наличии этой категории, в использовании этой категории. Okay. It's not easy, but these are the things that uh, we're led to analyze when we start to analyze what's conceptual understanding, what's non-conceptual, what's really going on with conceptual cognition. Okay. Now, I hope that didn't go over everybody's head. <laughs> Nobody understood. In any case. You ask the question about who is it that knows these various things. So it is, I know it. Do I have to think? We get, it's analogous. Do we have to think, I know it? Me, 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 I know it? No, we don't have to think that or perceive this whole experience in terms of I was aware of it. Nevertheless, who was aware of it? I was aware of it. So it's the same mechanism, implicit apprehension. We know that the, you know, a cognition occurred implicitly, that it was accurate if there's a decisive determination, and also that, I mean, who knew it? I knew it. Not somebody else, but I don't have to make a big thing out of thinking me as a separate mind that's looking at the a separate part of the mind that's looking back at the experience and thinking me. Oh, I, I thought that I'm so wonderful. But I do exist. I I cognize this. I thought this. I focused on this, not somebody else. And it, right? So there's mental activity. And we can speak about consciousness and mind that's not something 
separate as a separate thing that's doing it, but there is consciousness, and, and consciousness has an activity. And there can be a physical basis for it. And so then the, the question is, well, is it just mind that knows this? Is it just consciousness that knows something? Like knows the dog, sees the dog. And I don't see it. Only, only consciousness sees it. No, we would say that I see it also. So both consciousness and the person I see it and experience it. So, what type of phenomenon is the I, a person, me? So, we discussed this already. This is a non-congruent affecting variable. Which means that in order to focus on me that first there has to be a basis of imputation which would be for instance a a moment of mind and then in the next moment both the moment of mind and the person imputed on it me would appear I mean you could have a physical representation of a body or a brain, but I mean, most of us don't think in terms of that. So we are thinking in terms of some. There is an arising of an understanding. All right, it's a mental hologram, an understanding. And on the basis of that understanding, then we can be imputedly knowable. Me. I understand it. It's not just the mind, it's not just the consciousness that's understanding it, I understand it as well. The basis appears first. It's like when you look in a mirror, first you see a physical form, and then the next moment you continue to see the physical form, and on that basis we impute and say, me. Now I see me. Was me there the first moment? Or was it just created the second moment? No, it was there already. Had it 
However, in terms of having it as an object of focus, first the, the, the basis and then with the basis what's imputed on it. The me. So that me is not something which is separate from the basis, from the, the, the cognition. It's not a separate thing, part of it. I mean, that's totally apart from it. It's not. But it is what is imputed on the basis of, you know, cognition and a body and so on. Is there a me? Sure, there's a me. How do I think of me? The only way that I can think of me is with some sort of basis of imputation. So what's the basis of imputation? It could be what uh, a mental image of my body. Could be a mental image, a hologram of a voice, like you hear a voice on the telephone. Oh, I'm not just listening to a voice, I'm listening to my friend Sasha. Do I hear Sasha? Yes, I hear Sasha. But do I hear only Sasha? No, I hear a voice, and on the basis of the voice, I say that I hear Sasha. We can't know Sasha without a basis. Even if the basis is just a word. I'm thinking Sasha. Well, I, I'm just thinking the word. I don't have a mental picture. But it's on the basis. But it's on the basis of the mental sound of the word Sasha that I'm thinking of Sasha. <laughs> so conventionally, is there a me that is aware of you know these mental holograms? Sure. Of course there's a me. It's imputedly knowable on the basis of the awareness of the cognition, the implicit apprehension of the cognition. It is, it is imputedly knowable on the basis of the implicit apprehension <laughs> of the, that the cognition occurred when you have the cognition. Now that's very complicated. Right, I'm seeing a dog. I mean, there is the seeing of a dog that is occurring. Right? Explicitly, what is the mental hologram that appears is colored shapes and 
an act, a, a conventional doll. На эксплицитном уровне, да, на очевидном уровне, на явном происходит восприятие возникновения этой ментальной голограммы, цветов, очертаний и прочего. And implicit with that. А на имплицитном, на подспудном уровне. Right, besides not a cat and nothing other than a dog, etc. Right. But implicit with that is that this cognition is occurring. Есть понимание, что это сознание имеет место быть, да? Что это That's, imp- that's implicitly apprehended. Now, on the basis of that, then we know that I apprehended it. That I saw it. Because that's imputedly knowable on that basis of the cognition itself. Познается как обозначенное, как обозначение, сделанное поверх или на той основе, которым является этот когнитивный Но мы не должны этого думать, я видел это. But uh, we could think that. Oh, I saw that. I mean, later I saw, I, I met you before. Но мы можем подумать тогда, я видел это, я встречал тебя раньше. It's not that a mental hologram arose <laughs> of you and now. I mean, we conventionally say, "I saw you. I remember seeing you." So it's me. I saw it. Должны порождать всю связанную с этим ментальную голограмму. Мы используем это в конвенциях языка, да? Мы говорим, "Я видел то, я видел все, я пошел туда." So what I explained is the mechanism of how do we know that I saw you yesterday? Это мы объясняем механизм того, как или от чего на основании чего я знаю, что я видел тебя вчера. I mean, that's not so easy. It's very subtle, but that's a very interesting question. How do I know that I saw you? But there's no separate me. We have this mere, the word mere, in the definition of mental activity. That there's the, the arising or making of a mental hologram. Another way of looking at it is a, is a cognitive engagement with a mental hologram. So the engaging and the arising, that's, that's one activity. And that's happening without there being a separate me that's either making it happen, observing it, or experiencing it. Наблюдающий за этим процессом или управляющий, или увлекающий с него, да? Вот оно производит эту голограмму или просто сидит и наблюдает, как она возникает, уходит, увлекается в нее, не увлекается. Такого я нет. Есть процесс. Есть осознание подспудное, да, параллельное осознание, что процесс происходит в контексте уверенного решительного знания. But there is a me, even with the Buddha. Но есть я, и даже у Будды есть я, у Будды есть личность. Of course, we can think of me with a category me, and then we have a conceptual isolate, and then something that represents me, and this we call a self-image.
And so we, I mean, that's Western terminology, self-image. Self-image, self-image. Now, this could be a real, <laughs> this could be a real problem. Because usually our self-image is, in terms of conventionally what it is, is usually quite inaccurate. Right? I'm a loser, I'm fat, I'm ugly, nobody loves me, I'm God's gift to the world, there are all sorts of self I'm eternally young, all sorts of really very crazy self-images, inaccurate. So it could be either a negative self-image or one which is an over-inflated I'm God's gift to the world. I'm the most clever one in the world. But we have to also be careful enough to differentiate within this mental hologram of, of me that represents me the what it is and how it exists because it might be accurate and that I am fat now. Well, fat, of course, is relative to an elephant or relative to very skinny. I mean, it's a relative term, but might be, you know, according to a certain convention, it might be accurate that now I'm fat, but the way that I think it exists, it appears as though I'm eternally fat, no matter what I look like, like an anorexic thinks like that. we mix lots of categories. You know, it might be accurate that I am fat in terms of a certain convention, but I might be happy about that. I mean, there could, there could be also the category this is good. Or there could be a category this is bad, this is no good. So, what it is could be accurate or inaccurate. Also, it has to do with uh, a, a convention, 
you know, in terms of a certain group of people. But uh, the real troublemaker, I mean, that could be a bad enough troublemaker, but the real troublemaker is when we have a, a completely distorted idea of how we exist that way. I'm a loser. I was born a loser. I'm always going to be a loser. There's something wrong with me. For example. I'm a loser. I always have been. <laughs> I always will be. I was born a loser. Гораздо больше проблем представляет то, каким образом существующими, каким образом мы представляем себя существующими таким образом, То есть иными словами, представляя себя неудачником, мы можем думать, ну сейчас кому-то не повезло и он в этом деле потерпел неудачу, Или он представляет, что он родился неудачник, он по жизни неудачник, он умрет неудачником, вот подобное отношение к этому вот это создает действительные проблемы. Or tiredness. There is the the uh, hologram of tire of tiredness that is appearing, and likewise, implicitly, we know I'm tired. <laughs> well, if we think, I mean, it may be accurate. This exact instant, I may be tired. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be now. I'm tired. I can't continue, and I'm going to continue to be tired for the next five minutes. Doesn't mean that, does it? But when we have that, we call that a preconception in the West. Then we believe that, and then it's hopeless, isn't it? И мы можем действительно быть усталыми в данный момент времени, и это относительно истина. Но то, как мы видим себя усталыми, каким образом мы существуем в качестве усталых людей, может создавать большие проблемы. Это на Западе именуется, например, преконцепция, как-то преконцепция, да, то есть предуверенность в чем-то. И мы думаем, что, а, я устал, я буду усталым. Uh, в ближайшее время и там уж ближайшие пять минут точно и мы будем чувствовать себя от этого разбитым хотя это не факт совершенно да единственное что происходит это что мы сейчас чувствуем себя утомленным so once we really get into this whole topic of understanding appearances and these holograms and all the different aspects of it then it's very helpful for deconstructing this and overcoming the problems that are associated with it разбираться начинаем во, во всем этом взаимодействии этих голограмм и понимаем, как формируются эти ментальные образы, как происходят когнитивные акты. Это очень важно, поскольку мы теперь обладаем инструментарием для того, чтобы деконструировать, да, разбирая их на части и учленяя проблемные зоны и как их корректировать. Okay, so the question is, what about soul? Where does that fit into this concept? Again, we have a an audio category, soul, and then there's the meaning category. So, what does soul mean? Итак, вопрос состоял в том, что такое душа и как понятие души вообще вписывается в эту идею о я как соотносится, на что ответом было, началом ответа было, что ну, хорошо, есть аудиокатегория душа, да, звучание, термин, 
Right, the question was, what's the relation of the soul and me? <laughs> Now, there's the, you know, let's leave aside the fact that there are Christian explanations, and many Christian, not just one, and Islamic explanations, and Jewish explanations, and all sorts of explanations of what a soul is, meaning meanings of what that word is. So the word doesn't have just one meaning, does it? But uh, when Buddha lived, what Buddha was referring to in terms of soul was the Hindu concept, not just Hindu, but in Jain. Jainism was there already as well, of what is known in Sanskrit as Atman. Right. They have slightly different words that are used for it, but the most general word is Atman. And we can look at the, the way in which it's defined in these various systems and the best word that I think we can come up for with for it is a soul. Now, this is the sense that when you translate this into Tibetan, they use the word dak, which is also translated very much as self. As in selflessness. Mm. So, but we're basically talking about is me. With when we talk about soul. So, as His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, there's no reason to be afraid of the word soul. What we have to differentiate is uh, an impossible soul or an impossible me, that, there, that this is impossible, that there can be a me or a soul that has these characteristics, so that's impossible, and then there's the conventional one, whether you call it a conventional me or a conventional soul or a conventional self, that's only a word. Why be afraid of a word? 
It's just a convention. Now, in our perception, our cognition of a person, or a self, or a me, or a soul, well, first there has to be a basis that appears. Right, how do you think of a soul? Well, you some sort of representation, a light or something. <laughs> or just the sound of the word soul. Hmm. She thinks that that's the entity that, is, that never dies and reincarnates. Fine, no problem. It's the entity that never dies and reincarnates. Fine, no problem. Right? Buddha's, the Buddhist view is that the conventional me has no beginning, no end, goes on forever. One lifetime to another and into enlightenment. No problem. So, when I see this body, I don't just see this body, I see the person. You want to call it a soul, whatever you want to call it. Person, individual, self, me. Just a word. Okay, so I see a person as well. That is conventional, a common sense, conventionally existent object, not just one moment. So it has continuity. Do I see the entire continuity? No, of course not, because I have limited hardware of a human body and a human mind that can only see one moment at a time. Hmm. Now, so I see the conventional me, the, the conventionally existent soul. On the basis of seeing the the, sh- the colored shapes of the body. Now, conceptual category. Uh, this category, soul. 
or me or person, whatever you want to call it, and a meaning, meaning category. And what I have conceptually isolated as the meaning, I mean, there's a conceptual isolate, so I have some specific meaning, and that specific meaning, what I represent it as, is that this is uh, something that never changes from moment to moment and is a monolithic thing, either, you know, like a little dot of light or the size of the universe, and that it uh, can exist totally independently of a body and mind. So it goes all by itself into another body and mind. It, It is independent of it. Now, because of the habits, I mean, this type of me is something that we had to be taught. You wouldn't naturally think of a me like that. You had to be taught that. Or we can take even the more subtle one, which is that there's a me that's self-sufficiently knowable. I see Sasha. Seems as though I just see Sasha. I don't, I don't understand that. I see a body, colored shapes, and I see a body, and on the basis of a body, I see Sasha. No, it just seems as though I see Sasha. I hear Sasha on the phone. Now, this automatically arises. Even animals have that. This one. Yes. Now, the problem is that because we... And, well... We, whenever we see a person, this is the appearance, the the hologram. So that hologram is, I mean, through that hologram, we're perceiving the actual person. Okay, now that's inaccurate. Right. So we think that you know this person really is self-sufficiently knowable. I love Sasha. I hate Sasha. As if there were a Sasha. I mean, what do I love or what do I hate? The shape of the body, the shape of the head, the sound of the voice. What is it that I hate? Or love. 
But we just say, I hate Sasha. I love Sasha. Okay, so if our category is impossible me, then okay. But if our category is the real me, then we have a problem here. Now, because we have believed in this inaccurate mental hologram, this inaccurate appearance, because we believed that what it implied, its implied object, was an actual me, because we believed that, then that makes a habit. And because of that habit, not only do we continue to believe that this is, you know, that what it refers to is actually real, that that's how people exist. Then, then the ma, you know, the mental activity continues to produce that deceptive appearance. So not only do we believe that the the appearance refers to something real, but I mean, the habit not only causes that, but it also causes the mind to produce that appearance to start with. I believe that this is true, and so it continues to appear that way to me. You follow? So, the first thing we have to get rid of is believing that this refers to something real. Because when we believe that it's re- that it refers to something real, then we think that, you know, there really is this Sasha, and Sasha is so wonderful, or Sasha is so terrible. How could Sasha be so wonderful or so terrible without the sound of the voice? or the shape of the body, or the behavior, or something, on the basis of which we say Sasha, and conclude that Sasha is wonderful or terrible. Hmm. So, on the basis of that confusion, thinking that, well, it's self-sufficiently knowable Sasha, then I'm angry with Sasha, or I'm attached to Sasha, so the disturbing emotions arise. 
и проблемы продолжаются и принимают форму различных клеш или омраченных состояний сознания. Веря в такого истинно существующего Сашу, продолжая верить и продолжая генерировать эти ошибочные видимости, голограммы, да, мы начинаем реагировать, фиксировать на них. Sasha through this incorrect, inaccurate mental hologram. Right? First we stop believing in it, and then eventually, if we stop believing in, in it, then we're not reacting to it, and eventually the mind will stop making it. The more we focus on voidness, that it's not referring to anything real. Right? This is impossible. Okay, then we focus in terms of a category of me, which is an accurate one. Which is imputedly knowable. Okay, so now it's accurate. We don't uh, have it as something which is uh, referring to a separate me, totally separate, etc. That can be known by itself. Now, this is very important. His Holiness Dalai Lama over and over again stresses this. We can look at the behavior of somebody. Right? And on the basis of the behavior, we're looking at the person. Yeah, imputed on the behavior of what the body does. I mean, there's a body and there's shape and so on, but there's the action. So imputed on the action, the behavior of the body, uh, uh, also there's a person. So let's say the body kills somebody or persecutes somebody. So it's not just the body doing that, the person did that. Мы наблюдаем за чьим-то поведением и uh, поверх этого налагаем uh, персону личность, да? Ну, поведение это некие действия тела, да? На основании наблюдения за динамикой, за действиями тела мы uh, наблюдаем личность. Личность может совершать что-то, например, лишать кого-то жизни, да? Убивать кого-то. So, the basis for imputation, the behavior could be unacceptable, could be harmful, could be negative. Основа для обозначения в данном случае поведения может быть вредным, может быть злонамеренным, может быть неприемлемым. But that doesn't mean that the person that is imputedly knowable on that basis is bad. Но это отнюдь не значит, что персона или личность, которая познаваема как обозначение, примененное к этому поведению, к этому телу, есть плохая, есть неприемлемая, есть злонамеренная. So His Holiness always says, you have to differentiate the behavior from the person. The behavior is bad, it's unacceptable, it's harmful, you have to take a measure to stop it. Right? 
But the person, like every person, wants to be happy, doesn't want to be unhappy, and therefore is an appropriate object of love and compassion. So that allows us to deal with unacceptable behavior on the basis of love and compassion. So, although all this discussion may sound terribly abstract and difficult and philosophical, actually it leads to very beneficial behavior and ways of transforming our understanding in a very practical way, which will help us to benefit others and reach liberation and enlightenment. And when we have a, dis- uh, a detailed explanation and understanding of how something works, then we have a decisive determination of it. It's nothing other than this. So, what comes with that? I said, implicitly, you know that that uh, we have been aware of this and that it was accurate. Right, at this point that we're explaining. So you have confidence because you know that this is correct. So the more that we understand, the more confident we can be that this is correct. It's not just based on, well, Buddha said so or my teacher said so. I mean, we could have confidence that, well, my teacher wouldn't lie, Buddha wouldn't lie, so it must be true. But the more that we understand, actually, that adds more confidence. The fact that Buddha said it or our teacher said it would lead us to investigate it further to try to really understand it ourselves. Okay, time for one last question and then we have to end. If anyone has a question. Yes, please. 
Right, so the question is, if we speak in terms of the mental holograms coming from a natal source, like a loaf of bread coming from an oven, and we said that the mental hologram is like the loaf of bread, and from the Sautrantika point of view, the oven is like the external objective entity, the thing, then he's saying, what, is, what makes the loaf of bread, and who made it? And we would have to say here, this is the explanation comes in from the uh, highest class of Tantra, Nutri Yoga Tantra, that the, uh, and hopefully we will get to that tomorrow, is that what it's made of is the subtle energy winds. So the subtle energy that's associated, the hologram. Yes. Использованные вчера и сегодня отчасти метафоры с натальным источником, да, или производящим этим порождающим источником, как печью и голограммой, как хлебом и так далее. Из чего тогда сделан хлеб, то есть что является тестом, если продолжить метафору, и кто является этим пекарем. Итак, ментальная голограмма, мы, наверное, коснемся этого завтра, если у нас получится со временем перейдя к изложению высшей йога-тантры, йога-тантры, высшего класса тантр, там объясняется, что те, эта голограмма сделана из теста тончайшей энергии. Now, we can differentiate between what makes the appearance of how something exists and what makes the appearance of what it is. So then you have to, what it is involves subtle elements and so on, but most general we can say is that it's made out of uh, subtle energy winds, various levels of them. And if we say, who made it? Who made the loaf of bread? Remember, we were speaking in terms of mental activity, the word mir. It occurs without there being a separate me or a separate mind which is doing this or controlling it or observing it or experiencing it. So we can say conventionally my mind produced a mental hologram, I produced a mental hologram. I experienced it and so on. But it's not that there's a separate me, that's just something imputable on the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. 
Did I cause the photons to come from the dog to my eyes? Well, that's a difficult question, isn't it? If I weren't, if I didn't come close to the dog, the photons wouldn't have reached my eyes. So, am I responsible for the photons coming out of the dog, or just responsible for the photons reaching my eyes? What's going on? And how do we know that photons were coming out of the dog before we saw it? Or before anybody saw it? And that, of course, leads us to the Chittamatra explanation, which will come tomorrow. But conventionally we can say, I saw it. And, and my mind produced it, so there's a me. The hologram. Okay, so let's end here with the dedication. We think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this may go deeper and deeper. In other words... May we think more and more about this and analyze it and work with it so that our understanding gets deeper and deeper so that uh, eventually it helps us to overcome our confusion about appearances and reach liberation and enlightenment for the benefit of all.